We started last week on this subject called fear. And we realized that the Bible tells us 350 times not to be afraid. And 70 times specifically it just quotes, quit being afraid, don't fear. And so we started to dive into this thing, the subject matter called fear. And what the Bible started to tell us is not only not to be afraid, but taught us why we didn't have to fear. And why we don't have to fear is found in the book of 1 John chapter 3. And it says, perfect love cast out fear. And most of the time, as if you were here last Sunday, you heard this. But if you weren't, we're catching you up. Is that's a great sermon spot. That's where everybody says amen and claps and says, yeah, we're not going to fear. We're going to perfect love cast out fear. And then they go home and they get in their car and they go, well, what's perfect love? Because if it requires perfect love to cast out fear, what is perfect love? Because we realize that those that are around us, they don't love us perfectly. How many of you have ever been wounded, hurt by somebody that loves you? Say amen. amen. Sure. So what is perfect love? Well, the Bible describes in that very chapter the, the, the definition of perfect love. And perfect love is that the Bible started to say, well, the Father sent the Spirit. And because we have the Spirit of, the, of an Almighty God, the Holy Spirit, then He revealed Christ to us. And what is important about Christ is that the Father sent His Son that He might go and pay a price, a ransom price for our sin debt that we could not pay on our own. So he sent his only begotten son not only to die but to resurrect from the dead and give us the authority over death and hell. And all of a sudden now we can come to the Father through the Son after we've been revealed the Holy, by the Holy Spirit that he's our Savior. And when we accept Christ, we call it getting saved. When we accept that that moment of salvation, not only are our sins forgiven and we are transformed into a new creation according to Scripture, but God the Father now says, because you abide in me, I abide in you. And so we now are never going to face another day in our life without knowing that God is with us. Now that, just because God's with you doesn't make every day great. You know, anybody ever watch that? Bruce Almighty and, and everybody was praying for the lottery numbers and they all got their prayer answered and they got 38 cents apiece because everybody on earth won. It doesn't mean God's going to give you the lottery numbers, but whatever you face, as challenging, as painful as it is, He is with you and you're never alone and He will never abandon you. And so now, we, because He is with us, we have perfect love. Because we know that God can love us perfectly and knowing, having the knowledge that He is with us now provides us the foundation to face whatever we face tomorrow knowing we are not facing it alone. And that cast out fear. Okay? And so we studied about Joshua. He was taken over from Moses. Moses was a, a giant of the faith. You know, he's the guy that took the stick and held it over and the waters divided and bread fell from heaven and he hit a rock and water come from a rock and all of that stuff. How would you like to follow that guy? And not only does he's got to lead, not only follow that guy, but lead a million people across the Jordan River and then he's got to face enemies that they've been terrified of all of their lives. And so he prays and God shows up and says, Joshua, I was with Moses and I will be with you. And because I'm with you, you shall fear no one. Every person that comes against you, you will defeat. As long as you stay with me and my word abides in your heart and, and you don't move to the left or to the right with the authority of my word. If you stay abiding in me, I will abide with you and we will face every challenge together. And we know the story. They go and win. 
But what if you're already afraid? What if not only you know about fear, but maybe you're one of those people that are bound by fear? Doesn't mean you're not saved. And we're not, you know, we, we, we may deal a little bit with heaven or hell, but we're more dealing with the hell you're going through because of fear right now. That you're waiting on to die and go to heaven so you can get some peace. But God says, I can give you peace right now. You don't have to do that. You don't have to die and go to heaven to get some peace. And so what we want to do is talk about fear in connection with a story about a man named Gideon. And if you're one of those people that have been a fearful in your life and have fell prey to the bondages of fear, you don't have to stay that way. You can get transformed. Just like you got saved. Well, what are we talking about fear? Well, you're probably sitting within three feet of somebody that has a fear called a phobia. A phobia is a consistent, irrational fear about something. Like you're, some people are afraid of sharks. I used that example last week. And so you don't go to the beach, but you still stay afraid of sharks. They can't get you in your living room. <laughs> and even if you go to the beach, you won't get past ankle deep water like you know that they're waiting on you to just step one more step and they're going to come get you. Next time you go to the beach, go past ankle deep and get, at least get knee deep. See if they get you then. And then they're not going to get you and you're going to go waist deep. And then you're going to find yourself over your head. And you're going to say, I lived in the Florida all my life and I've finally been set free from fear. And I didn't get eaten up by a shark. And I swam in the ocean. Amen? Amen? So 19 million people. You're only born with two fears. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Everything else you learn. That means somebody was afraid before you and taught you how to be afraid. And so 19 million people suffer, suffer from phobias. It could be anything, snakes, spiders, small spaces. It could be heights. It could be anything. But most of the time, people are more fearful than the snakes and the spiders. They're more fearful of loving again after they've been hurt. They're, they're fearful of, of getting into friendships again because somebody has let them down or their fear of trying anything because they're afraid to fail. See... When God starts to use this man named Gideon, he is nowhere near a courageous general. And I want to kind of set the stage for Gideon because most of the time we run right to the battle. And, and I'm really trying to be disciplined to teach more than preach, even though preaching is my gift. I'm really trying to teach this thing because we got to go deeper, just like we did with perfect love. Well, most of the time I used this example last week. And is there anybody with the courage to say, I'm afraid of spiders? Anybody? Oh, we got some hands going up. Okay. Well, when you have a spider in the kitchen, what happens is, is you see that spider and immediately stuff starts going on in your mind like, he's looking at me. <laughs> well, he's got like eight eyes. He probably is looking at you. But you know what he's saying in that little spider brain of his? Holy smacks, there's a giant in here. He's really big and can step on us. Run for the hills. And so we go out of the kitchen and we don't go back in there for two days because we saw the spider. And we pray for two days, may even fast a meal or two and say, God, please, please remove that spider from my kitchen. But here's the issue. God's more concerned with how the spider got in there than removing the spider. Because what if God just from heaven zapped the spider? We would shout, run through the living room, do a Jericho march around the bedroom and come back in praising the Lord. But 
See, a lot of times we pray for God to solve the temporary issue in our life, especially when it's associated with fear, instead of finding the source of why you're afraid in the first place. See, it, it would be ridiculous for God to zap the spider when you've left the back door open. Because he would rather say, you left the back door open, that's how the spider got in. And if you keep it open, there's other stuff going to come in too. And so that's kind of where we find Israel in the, in the time where you're introduced to this character called Gideon. They are praying, they are praying people, they just are messed up people. They're praying, God, get the Midianites out of our land, get the Midianites out of our land. And God said, your problem's not the Midianites, it's why they're there. Listen to what the Bible says about Israel in this time of Gideon. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of, the, of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them and they would encamp against them to devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so that they laid waste to the land as they came in. And Israel brought very, was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Can you imagine these people are just praying, God, please save us from the Midianites. They're coming and killing us. Man, we do all of this work and then they come in, they sweep in like locusts according to the Bible and there's so many of them and they don't leave until everything is gone. And then we come out of our caves and we look around and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And, and, and we're just waiting for them to leave and they do this every single year. God, please, it's been seven years. Get me out of the, out of, out of the hand of the Midianites. And God starts to respond. And the first thing he does is he sends a prophet. See, when you really want to know the, the reason you're in some of the situations and you start earnestly praying, you know God responds. You may not like what you hear, like the Israelites didn't like, I'm not getting rid of the Midianites because you know why? I'm more worried about why the Midianites are there instead of the temporary solution of me just zapping them from heaven. See, the reason that they were there was that Israel was idol worshipers. They had taken the gods of the Amalekites and the Midianites and they had started worshiping them and they had built altars to Baal and Asherah poles. These are uh, fake or idol deities. They are not real. They're not the real God. And they decided that they were going to blend all the gods together and they just prayed to all of them. And whichever one answered them, that's the one that they would serve at the moment. The problem is, is all of the gods that they were praying to, only one was real. And God's saying to them, you're God, so he sends a prophet and says, you're in the condition that you're in because of your idolatry. And this is how he responds. Ever notice that when God shows up and starts dealing with you about very intimate things, about things that are going on on the inside of you, he never lies. Like if you're really struggling with lust, he'll say, hey man, you're really struggling with lust. Any brother ever know about that? Say amen. Everybody's afraid, amen, yeah. I don't want my wife, no. Yeah, amen. All of us struggle, brother. It's okay. She knows. 
She would rather you admit it and get it fixed than to stay there fighting a battle by yourself. Amen. That's just free stuff. That wasn't even in my outline from this morning. That was just free for second service. And, you know, so, you know, we struggle with stuff. And we're praying, God, God, please, you know, just take away the pornography. Just take it away. Take it away. Don't let me do that anymore. And he's saying to you, your intimacy with me is falling short. And you don't know me the way that I encourage you to know me. Because if you get closer to me, that will seem so distant. And that will take care of itself. But here's your real issue. You're broken. And it's time to get fixed. So he sends a, he sends a, a prophet. And it said, when the people of the Lord cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you into the hand, out of the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all that oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. He's saying the issue with the Midianites is obedience and you've done what I've told you not to do and let's get the obedient thing fixed and that's when he decides he's going to use a fearful man named Gideon. Now Gideon is not courageous at this moment. I'm going to get a couple of these. Pretend these are wheat. He's got a little scrap bundle of wheat and to thresh it means you beat it and knock the, the seeds off of it. And, and he's got his little bit of wheat and he's shaking and he's hidden in a cave in a stronghold and he's beating his little bit of wheat. Uh, you know, thank God, thank you for my scraps. Yeah, that sounds like half of our testimony. Thank you for the scraps. Thank you, I didn't get consumed. <laughs> and he's like, if you just get obedient, you'd have more than what you got in your hand. <laughs> it's simple. And, and, and the angel of the Lord shows up, at least what he thinks is an angel. And I've always preached this thing in error. And I'm glad that I saw this this week so I, I didn't have to preach it in error again because I would just get to the chase of the second thing the angel said. And he says, oh, get in, you mighty man of valor. And I preach that thing and we get excited. Here's a coward that God's calling a mighty man of valor and he's going to transform him, form him from being afraid to somebody that is courageous. And that's the truth. But the first statement is so important. He says, Gideon, the Lord is with you. Oh, you mighty man of valor. Wait a minute. If God's with us, then we go back to 1 John chapter 3. The foundation of the thing that can destroy fear is the knowledge that God is with us and He loves us in a perfect love. He's saying, Gideon, you got all you need to be courageous. I'm with you. Oh, you mighty man of valor. I'm going to transform you with that knowledge. I am going to transform you into a man that has so much courage you're going to face the enemy that you're fearful of and you're going to lead people to do it with you. <coughs> but most of the time when God shows up in a fear culture, people talk back. I'm glad this is in the Bible because this is me and you. This is real life. Have you ever noticed when somebody's afraid it's always somebody else's fault? You let the spider in. I don't have pet spiders. And because what happens is when they get confronted with their fear, they get embarrassed and then they blame you for embarrassing them. And that, that's what Gideon does. The angel, show, who he thinks is an angel, shows up and says, oh, I, The Lord is with you, Gideon. Oh, you mighty man of honor. He said, If God's with us, he's killing us. If God's with us, then why doesn't he take care of the Midianites? See, he was so blinded by his own idolatry. He is not the one that is righteous. He is participating in the idolatry. 
And because of his own idolatry, he is blind to his participation in idolatry and blaming God for why the Midianites are there. See, that's the first clue that when you are living in a fear culture that you're starting to blame everybody else. And God just, God, God never gets offended. It's not like, oh man, I hurt God's feelings today and he run over to the other side of heaven and had a good cry. No, God will just get real back with you. He said, oh, by the way, I'm the guy that got you out of Israel. 400 years of slavery and then marched you through a wilderness and you didn't even have an army and I'm the one that kept you safe after 40 years of you wandering around in a circle because you thought you... But that's the key to the second part when you know you're in a fear culture. Not only do you blame everybody else, but you see yourself different than everybody else, including God. It, Gideon not only says... I. I if God's with us, he's killing us. Why don't he do something about those Midianites? And then he says, hey, by the way, God wants to use you. And then he says, he can't use me. I'm the weakest man in Israel. Literally, the Bible says, my dad's clan or my dad's family is the lowest in all of Manasseh and I am the weakest among them. So my whole family is weak and I'm the weakest one out of the family. I'm the weakest man in Israel. See, that kind of fear is the second thing. When you have a false sense of your own identity in Christ, that's one of the choices, you'll find yourself looking in the mirror thinking you ain't nothing but a handful of dirt. I'm just dust that God put in His hand. And No, you were made in the likeness and image of God. Now, God doesn't want you to have a higher opinion of yourself than you should. That's called pride. But man, when you get up to shave, I'm talking to the guys now, and our ladies, when you get up to do your face tomorrow and put all the stuff on in the right places with the right applications, with the right brushes and the right flares, do what you got to do. Us brothers, we just get in there and shave and look for the right cologne. You know if your husband hasn't taken a shower in two days, he just starts like four more times. And I'm good. At least I smell good. I'll cover it up. But do you realize that this is the same type of conversation that God was having with the people of Israel 40 years before? Remember that whole thing when, when they were about God had led them out of Egypt supernaturally and they got all the way to the Jordan River and said, God said, go get them fans, go get them guys, I'm with you. And they go over there and they have 12 guys and they look around and they see giants and 10 of them come back. And what did they say when they got back? We look like what? Bugs. Oh, we're so insignificant and so small. We look like bugs. God says, you're my people. I've been with you. I've, I've rained bread out of heaven for you. And now you're looking at some guys that are taller than you. And now you're coming back. Oh, I look like a bug. That, that, that concept of how you d diminish your position, what you need to find is who am I in Christ. And when I find out who I am in Christ, it'll give me a confidence to be who God wants me to be on earth. Somebody say amen. He did not call you to be a bug. I'm just the weakest of the weak. I promise you God didn't call you to be the weakest of the weak. Matter of fact, the Bible says you're the head, not the tail. Above and not beneath. Oh man, I can quote some of this stuff. And he says, no nah, man, I'm going to use you anyway. Go in the fact that I told you I'm going with you and go defeat the, uh, the Midianites. Even if you go as one man, I'll go with you. He said, but now, I'm a, so this inspires Gideon. Now, you got to remember, he's still got his little weed in his hand. Now, I'm not talking about this concerning how much you give. But come on, somebody. Never give God your scraps. 
This guy decides he's going to do an act of worship. And I tell you, what, that's what offering is all the time. We're not here to collect your money. It's an act of worship. And he says, I go back. And he, he did not use the scraps of wheat in his hand, but he put the wheat down, went back to his dad's house and got a goat. Remember what the scripture told you when the Midianites showed up? They took everything. And whatever was left was the scraps and that goat was precious. And he brings it back because he's going to really worship the true God this time. And he says, you know what? You're an angel sent by the Most High. I've got to offer an offering to you. I've got to worship. And he puts this, he, he prepares the goat, puts it on, on a rock. And, and the, what, who he thinks is an angel comes over with a stick, taps a rock, and it turns into fire. He said, oh man, that's not an angel, that's God. How many times has God showed up in your life? And you thought he was somebody else. I've told this story, but if you're new, this will be new to you. I, I really believe with all my heart I saw an angel in Jacksonville, Florida. I went to McDonald's. I was poor. I went to McDonald's. I'm still poor, but I'm, I'm a little better shaped than I was. But I had scrounged up enough money and I got this thing about eating healthy. So I went and I ordered hot cakes and sausage. And it's really healthy and you pour a lot of syrup on there and it even gets healthier. And then you pray. You order a Coke with it and you pray, God, take away the calories. He, <laughs> that's not how it happened. Anyway, I paid for it with cash. It was back a long time ago before we did the debit card thing. And the lady, for some unknown reason... McDonald's had no $1 bills and she gives me $8 worth of quarters. So now my pocket's about this big full of $8 worth of quarters and I go to the gas station. Now the gas pumps, you could use your card. So I, I'm over there using my card and a homeless dude shows up. And he goes, hey man, can I borrow a nickel? I said, man, this is your lucky day. I said, I hate carrying around change in my pocket. I reached in there, handed him all $8 worth of quarters. He took three steps. About here, turned around, walked back, handed $8 back in my hand and said, I was sent to check your heart and walked off. Now, I've been in trouble before where I've had to ask people to borrow some money, but I ain't never gave it back in three steps. <laughs> Just say it. So he worships, and then God gives him his first assignment. And his first assignment was not to go attack Midian. His first assignment, if you're going to be a man of courage, let's do it right. Let's get to the source, not the, not the um, uh, symptom. He said, go to your dad's house, and I want you to tear down his altar of Baal, the one you worship at, and then there's an Asherah pole right next to it. Cut it down. He's still not courageous, but he... See, remember what I told you was the definition of courage? Courage is not that you don't no longer know that fear is present. It's in the presence of fear. You just do it anyway. Well, he was still afraid, but he decided to do it. He was just going to wait till dark. So he gets ten guys to help him. Showing you he didn't even know he was a leader. The weakest of the weak convinced ten other guys to go tear down the, the altar with him. And they tear it down. And they cut the pole. Next morning, people want to kill him. See, he realized he had to tear down the altar of Baal and build an altar to God and worship at that altar the way that he should and the way that Israel should as an example of true worship. And he had to put his life on the line. How can you go face Midian and you believe that, that I can save you from an army that's incountable, that can't be counted and you can, are afraid that the community will kill you? 
So they wake up and they say, let's kill Gideon. And I'm sure Gideon looked up and said, what, what are you doing, God? And his dad says something very wise. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute. If Baal's God, let Baal kill him. He didn't say, don't kill my son. He said, why should we do something for Baal? Let's see if he really is God. And you know what? Baal couldn't kill him. You know why? Because Baal, Baal isn't a real God. And so all of a sudden now Israel starts to revive. And revival starts to happen. And they start to worship the true God and start to decide we're going to tear all the altars of Baal down and all the Asherah poles. And now we're dealing with the, uh, with, with the cause, not the symptom. Now it's not the Midianites we're worried about. But now we're coming back to God. And in the midst of coming back to God, now we do this sometimes. We get a little strange around here sometimes. This is your first service. You, you know, Come back. We invite you back. But it can go sideways here at any time. Baptisms, that's a good day. It can really get side. People get baptized in their dresses. But this got so contagious that Gideon decides he's going to take a shofar, a, a, a horn of an animal, and blow it like a trumpet. We, we have some people that blow shofars sometimes. We don't want them to do it. If you have a shofar, you know, bring it every now and then. I may give you the signal, but if you don't get one of those, you know, I may let you go a couple of times, scare everybody, and, and, and that may be okay, but if you do it every Sunday, we're probably going to talk to you. <laughs> and you're going to say, I'm courageous, Pastor, and I'm going to say, be courageous but obedient. <laughs> what they were doing was getting their life in order, and when they got their life in order according to the way they really should be worshiping, the only God, he said, I am the only God that deserves your worship and I'm not going to share you with anybody. And finally they start coming back to him. He gets so excited. He said, let's go kill the Midianites. They, they, now they were people that lived in caves when the Midianites showed up. All they had to do was show up. They never fought them. When they showed up, they went and lived in their cave. And all that they would do is, show, is have one person go out there and look around and go, yep, they're still there. And they lived off the scraps that were in the cave. That's what Gideon was doing. But then they, one day they would go out there and go, all right, they're gone. There ain't nothing left, but they're gone. And they'd go out there like nothing happened. They never would fight for what was really there. So Gideon gets stirred in this moment of worship, understanding you're a mighty man of valor, not a coward. And all of a sudden he starts to become what God called him. And he blows this trumpet. 32,000 men respond. Amy, get ready. 32,000 men say, we're ready to fight this enemy. We've got our life in order now. We've tore down the altars of Baal and now we've got altars to the real God and our relationship with God is back. It's like some of you that are afraid of spiders. God tells you the back door is open and you finally decide to have enough courage to go through the kitchen quickly and close the back door. Now, I just got to deal with one spider and I got a fly swatter and I'm bigger than it. Well... 32,000 men show up. And here's where it gets good. Is that God... You ever notice that when God starts talking to you, He can talk God talk and it sounds crazy to you? Like there's more people than we can count over on that side. And I got 32,000. We're outnumbered. We're not doing good, but I'm excited about how many people showed up. God shows up and goes, Ah, you got too many. No, 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 God. I don't, I don't have too many. Yeah, you got too many. If you go and you win the battle with this, you're going to think it's because of you. 
well, what do you want me to do, God? 32,000 people showed up. I like this. I think we could do something with 32,000. I'm willing to go give my life and fight an innumerable army with 32,000. But if you tell me there's too many I, and you are with me, I'm going to take I'm going to not be fearful. I'm going to take my first step of courage. What do you want me to do? He says, tell everybody that's afraid to go home. See, because I told you last week, fear can get contagious. Now, I had like a row of guys over there. So, you know, you know, Vito, me and you have been around each other a long time. We're tough men. You're much tougher than I am, but you're, we're tough men together. And, you know, and even if me and you were sitting there and Pastor Gray was preaching and me and you were sitting there and he said, all right, everybody's afraid, go home. And even if we were afraid, we would act like we're not afraid. And we would just stay there like, oh, we're, going, we're courageous. Not these crazy cats, 22,000 of them. That's the word I've been waiting to hear. I'm out of here. God bless. Woo. Good luck with those Midianites. And here, I know what they said. We're praying for you. God bless. <laughs> Come on now, that's funny. You got to admit that stuff. So now they got 10,000 people left. And God shows back up and says, oh man, man, you still got too many. He's like, whoa, wait a minute now. I'm willing to fight. I'm willing to do your thing. But I didn't need 22,000 fearful men. I understand it. No, you still got too many. Then they did the drink test and they had 300 left. God said, just enough. Get ready for battle. But just because you overcome one battle with fear doesn't mean it doesn't come back. It's ongoing. I fight it all the time. Do you realize that I walk around this place? Many of you have seen me out in the parking lot before we start second service and I'm walking off the nervous energy because I'm afraid of getting up here and speaking to you. Every single week I have to face that. And... 300 men and God shows up one more time and says Gideon are you still afraid <laughs> and then you know I tell the story of my youngest son Joshua with Tony Castellito he's a big cowboy guy <laughs> and he was he got bucked off of a horse and he was afraid to get back up on it and he was he was up there and he was on the saddle and he was just a little guy and he was crying and Mr. Castellito went over to him and said you afraid he said yes he said, he said, Mr. Tony raised his hand like this. He said, Dad, I thought he was going to pray for me. He said, I grabbed his hand and I, bet I closed my eyes. And Tony snatched him off the horse again and said, Oh, you afraid of that? That's what it feels like. Now get back up there and don't be afraid. <laughs> you ever notice that God talks like that to you? He said, if you're afraid and you're looking for God to give you his hand and pray with you, and God says, go to the enemy's camp. Well, that's the people I'm afraid of. He said, go to the enemy's camp. And here's one of the smart things to do when you're battling with fear. Tell somebody the truth that you're afraid because they'll face it with you. It's amazing how much comfort can come when you realize one other person will stand with you. And he tells his servant, God just told me to go to the enemy's camp. And he said, I'll go with you. So they go in the night. They sneak over. Now, here's the good part. Pretend this is a hedge. They sneak over and they're probably in a bush and they're watching the camp. You know, they didn't have binoculars back then, but I picture, you know, them looking over there. And two of the guys from the camp decide to walk right by them, close enough for them to hear them talk. And one guy says this. Now Gideon's with his little servant right there. And 
This is the whole point of this message. Don't miss this. He says, I, maybe it was the pizza I ate last night, but I had a bad dream. And one of the guys said, well, what was the dream? He said, it was crazy. He said, there was this barley loaf of bread rolled down the hill and killed us all. He said, yeah. And the guy with him said, you know what that dream is? That's the man Gideon and God is with him. Remember what God said at the very first time when he met him in the cave? I am with you, oh you mighty man of valor. And now the enemy knows that God's with him. Sometimes when you're afraid, the, the devil is more afraid of what your knowledge, if you would ever come to the knowledge that God is with you and do what God is capable of doing with you, you'll find out. So he, he gets so excited that he hears for the final time, I'm with you Gideon from the mouth of the enemy, that he jumps up, goes back to the camp, and he doesn't get his sword. He worships. See, because if you can win on the battlefield of worship, you can win in the battlefield of your life. And so he leads 300 men into worship. And those 300 men gather the courage to go divide into three companies of 100, surround the enemy and come in. Now, they never have to lift a sword. God confuses the Midianites and the Midianites kill themselves. And it takes 300 men to carry the spoils back to, the, back to camp and say, we don't have to live off the scraps anymore. We had the courage and faith. God is with us. Our worship is right. And God is with us. Look what He can do. And I'm wondering what He can do with you and with me.